Hey there, and welcome to the Refuge Podcast. We're a podcast of Crossroads Community Church here in Nampa, Idaho. And here at the church, we believe in being a place of refuge, transformation, and partnership with God. My name is Charlie, and I'm a pastor here at the church. And I'm Scott, and I'm one of the partners here at Crossroads. And uh, we're having a great message today about Ephesians 4, and I love the title of the sermon was the the best sermon I've ever preached, I think, or my best sermon ever, I think. I thought that was pretty funny. I, I like, did I too. I, I thought that to was expect. good. Yeah. So, yeah, I was thinking, huh, I wonder what. Wonder what this is going to be. Right. So, yeah. He talked about the first, first sermon he ever preached and about how he didn't ever really act out this idea of um, the apostolic, the prophetic, the teaching, the evangelistic, the, serv- the shepherd. Um, I think I skipped one. Teaching, shepherd, apostolic, prophetic. Mm-hmm. There we go. Prophetic, maybe. Yeah. But all these giftings that are in Ephesians 4 uh, that are meant to lead the church together, right? And instead, we've made it kind of, you know, one, you need to be all of those things. And there is this expectation for pastors that you can do all of this. And in fact, we get professional pastors to do just all this for us, so we don't have to worry about it. But that's just not what we see in Scripture. My goodness. No, that is not at all what we see in Scripture, is it? That, uh, man, we don't want a church like that. Uh, we truly don't, which the pastor is this exalted person who's got everything and we could all just kick back and do nothing and that's a church that will die yeah right and it's not gonna because that pastor he's he can't um save people's souls right well and that pastor's gonna die he's gonna die too yeah i have buddies that are uh you know the only pastor at a smaller church and uh they have to do everything you know they're they people like well i want you to evangelize my friend and grow the church and preach every Sunday, you know, and it just is, it's not ever the thing that it was meant. We're meant to do this as a, as a church, as a group, uh, together. I went to a a church where the pastor, he was supposed to do all that. And they expected him to go out on the property and pull the weeds. Yeah. Yeah, Do all the, the maintenance and everything. And, And he finally said, I don't care if our property becomes a testing ground for, or for Roundup. He said, I am not going to do this. I I need us to be involved here. And that is so true. Yeah. I thought it was a great message. And uh, really, I think, Jim, this is something that's a big part of his heart is not just making it about him as a leader, but really growing a team that works together. And so it was pretty cool to hear him be able to preach about something that I know he cares about. So we're going to listen to his message and then we'll get together and talk about it. Welcome to Crossroads. If you're here visiting for the first time, thank you for visiting. If you're listening online from in town or across the nation or someplace in the world, we appreciate you joining us this morning as well. Uh, it's, uh, it's great. I love that song. Uh, anytime I get to sing that word, hallelujah, it's, it's a, a combination of Hebrew words. It means exuberant boasting towards God for his faithfulness to his people. Isn't it easier just to say Hallelujah. I'll never forget one time I was sitting in a Chinese congregation in Beijing, China, and they began to worship, and they were worshiping with everything they had, and I couldn't sing with them. But then they got to the word hallelujah, and I didn't know this, that hallelujah in every language is hallelujah. And I was able to sing one word in the song. And I thought, you know what? When we get to heaven, that's the one word we're going to all know. Hallelujah. Exuberant boasting towards God for his faithfulness to his people. 
That's a pretty good word. Hallelujah. There you go. You know, folks, some, many of you prayed this week. Um, we asked you to pray uh, about the meeting with the potential uh, new owners of the Gateway Center where Macy's is. Uh, as you, some of you know, they, they invited us to a second meeting and uh, you uh, bathed that, that meeting in prayer. They then invited us to go to a meeting with the city leaders. Again, we felt the sense of God's presence in your, you bathing us in prayer. Um, both meetings could not have gone better from our perspective. Um, it is amazing to us. Of course, we won't know until they actually pull the trigger and say, yes, we're going to buy this project. But in the process of all of that, they've talked to us about where we would be in that whole thing. They had a great conversation with city leaders. The city leaders were, were, uh, were very friendly towards them. I pray for your city leaders, your council, your mayor, your uh, others who are making decisions these, these uh, next two weeks. But uh, I do need to say this, that they did ask us in the midst of this, they said, now, um, you guys talked a lot about God's providence um, last time, um, that you felt like God was leading you as a people. He said, we have one question. Would you be okay if we, if we do this, if we change the whole name of the project to Providence Center? We're okay with that. <laughs> okay. That stuff doesn't, we never would have asked for that. We wouldn't have imagined that. Okay, so we're already in the God zone. Whatever happens, we're in the God zone, okay? So keep praying, please. Folks, here we are standing on the, the edge of a new decade, 2020. Oh, you've heard all kinds of things, the roaring 20s again, right? The whole idea of 2020 being kind of a, a clarity of vision. People are saying, this is, this is a time of clarity for us. Uh, uh, some are saying, this is the year of the Bible. There are many Christians throughout uh, the United States and the world who are, who are deciding to read through the Bible this year. Maybe you have a plan that you'd like to do. Uh, there's, there's no better plan than to get into God and get God into you, as we learned last week, enthuse in theos, God, to get God into you is to get into the word, right? Um, but we take these times and we, and we look back on our, our past as we look forward. And, and uh, my, my daughter said, you know, I, I can't believe how much has changed for me in the last decade. And I said, when you get to my age, that not much changes in a decade. Um, but then I got to thinking, I thought, well, actually, yeah, there has been quite a few things. And then I started thinking forward, thinking, you know what? This next decade could be a lot of change for your mom and I. Wow. Huh. So we start thinking not only backwards, but ahead. And here we are heading into our 25th year as a church. And as I consider where we've been, I, I think a lot about and pray about, Lord, who are we supposed to be? Now, I do, I confess, I do pray about the where part, but that's God's problem. Where we're supposed to be, that's, that's God's problem. But who we're supposed to be, that is clearly partly our problem as we cooperate with the Holy Spirit. Who are we supposed to be as your people, see? Um, and and it, it reminds me of my first sermon as a pastor, senior pastor in 1989 in San Francisco. It was my best sermon ever. <laughs> see, if you looked at the, 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 the bulletin this morning, you thought he's gonna preach his best sermon today. No, it was, that was my best sermon. <laughs> so just relax, okay? 
Why was it my best sermon? Because here I was, this punk kid. I was in my 20s. I had served as a youth pastor, as an associate pastor in various places. But now I was, the first time, a senior pastor in this little church in San Francisco. I was scared. And it was my first Sunday. And I thought, what in the world am I going to preach on? You know, just so you know, I don't have a great memory. I can't remember what I had for dinner last night. But I remember my first sermon. Why? Because it was so great? No, the text was great. The passage that I read from was great. I don't know actually what I said about it, but the text was amazing. You see, I, I started looking at where I was. I was in San Francisco, a place that didn't really just absolutely embrace Christianity. I don't know, that might shock some of you. Um, I was young, and most of my church was old. Um, I started thinking about Timothy in Ephesus, okay? He was in a culture that was very anti-Christian. He was young with a, a bunch of older people. He was scared, and Paul tried to encourage him. And in a letter that he wrote to the church at Ephesus, Paul talks to him about what we're supposed to do as pastors, as leaders. And so I thought, this is brilliant. <laughs> this is what we need. This is God's plan for us. Now, if you were to open up the book of Ephesians today, and if you have your Bibles, I would encourage you to do that. This is something fascinating. I heard somebody say this one time, and it really is amazing. If you were to take just the first two chapters of Ephesians, not now, on your own, with a pad of paper, and list out all the things that God has done for you, just out of those first two chapters, you would be shocked at how long that list is. Okay, so the first two chapters, Paul is trying to describe to the people at Ephesus, this is how much God loves you. This is what he's done for you. And then in the third chapter, Paul begins to talk about who he is as the apostle to the Gentiles. This is what God's called me to do. And as he gets into the fourth chapter, he starts talking about, now here is what you as the church at Ephesus are to do. This is how God has prepared you, okay? That's what he's talking about here. Now, before we read it, I want to tell you something about Roman kings. In the Roman world, at the time that, that uh, Jesus walked this earth, and at the time that Paul was writing this letter, this is what would happen when a king went off to war to conquer a city and came back victorious. He would come back victorious, leading uh, in procession all of the people that they captured. Now, what would happen with those people is one of two things. Some of them would be killed after that procession, and some would immediately go into slavery. But then this was the practice of a king in the ancient world. They would take all of the bounty that they, that they took from overtaking this city, and then the king, to bless his own people, would distribute all of those gifts to them. So people were excited when the king came back because they were going to get part of the goods. So when Paul talks about in the scripture, when Jesus returned, he gave good gifts to his children. He's giving us this imagery. He bestowed gifts on us so that we would be blessed, okay? So keep that picture in mind as we open up Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 through 13. And this was my passage that I used in my first sermon. And it was a powerful passage. So Christ himself... Who is he? He is the victorious king, right? Christ himself gave gifts. Gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers. Those five gifts 
Apostle, you see it? Prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. To do what? To equip his people. Who are his people? Us. All of us for works of service. Did he say, I, he called these five leadership gifts to do works of service? That's not what he says. Although they will be doing works of service. It is to equip God's people to do works of service, right? So that the whole body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. I stopped right there. If we could, if we could just do this, we're doing a lot, I said. And then I proceeded to preach a sermon that I probably wasn't really good. And then on Monday morning, I got up and went right about not doing exactly what I had just preached to everybody. Because I just went back to what I knew. Does my church, does our church look like that? Huh. Wow. Let's look at those gifts. The first one is apostolic. Now, if you have your bulletin this morning, you're going to notice the gift of evangelism is missing. I don't know why, but I'll tell you what it is. You can write it in, okay? The first one is apostolic. This is not just the gift given to the apostles, all right? But we have references to Paul being the apostle to the Gentile. We have Junius called a fellow apostle. We have, of course, the 12 apostles. But it is an apostolic gifting. What is apostolic gifting? It is the mission of God in the world. This is when a leader among, uh, among us says, this is awesome to be here as the body of Christ, but we're sent beyond us. We're sent into the world. We're sent into the marketplace, into our places of work and, and school and education to do what? To, to proclaim this good news. You know that that gift is operating, right? It, when you, you, you hear that person saying, we need to do this, or you hear several people saying, we need to do this. The second gift he, he mentions is prophetic. The meaning of this word is to uh, foretell and forthtell. It, it means to boldly proclaim, but it's, it's concerned about uh, uh, holiness and faithfulness and true worship and obedience to the word of God. Uh, that's, that's a person whose, their heart is for God and, and they want everybody to have a heart for God, okay? That's, that's the second gift. The third gift that you don't have in your bulletin, but you can write this in, is evangelistic. This is the, the joyful proclamation of the good news of freedom and salvation through Jesus. I just can't, I gotta tell people. I just gotta tell people. But the gift of leadership in this gift is not only being able to tell people, but knowing how to teach people to tell people. Does that make sense? So, so this is, this is a, a necessary gift. The, third, or the fourth one is pastor or shepherd. Now, isn't it interesting, is, is today the way we operate, especially here in the West, is we have a pastor. Okay. But that's one of the five gifts that Jesus gave the church. But the gift of pastor is, is the person who wants the assurance that the local body is nurtured and growing in its faith and witness. This is a caring person. This is a person who wants to know how you're doing. No, really, seriously, how are you doing? And then there's this last gift, it's teaching. Now, I don't think that these gifts are given in order of importance, okay? But teaching is not right at the top. Apostolic is. The church has to understand, first and foremost, it is sent into the world. 
The teaching is the assurance that the intelligent and wise instruction of Jesus results in maturity of believers of every age in the body of Christ. Now, look at those five gifts. If all five of those gifts are operating, things are going to get done, okay? But if you have a church that's just led with someone who's apostolic and the other four are missing, you're going to get this, this preacher standing up all the time to go, 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 go. And you're like, okay, but what do I take with me? All right? But if you have someone who's just uh, prophetic and, and you're missing the other four gifts, you're going to hear a lot about the holiness of God and you might actually feel guilty when you leave. Okay, but if you have someone who's just evangelistic and all the other ones are missing, you're going to have somebody who's constantly talking about how great Jesus is and how he got to go out and share him. And sometimes when a church doesn't have the other gifts but, but evangelism, evangelism, it's about an inch deep and a, and a mile wide. But if you have a church that's just read, led by a pastor, everybody loves each other. Everybody feels great. But at some point, you, you just can't pastor everybody. So oftentimes those congregations are pretty small. And they're deeply loved, but you just can't love everybody. But if you also have a church that's based on teaching and none of those others are operating, everybody knows a lot of stuff, but their lives are not necessarily changing or being transformed. What Jesus gave us, the church, are these five gifts of leadership so that all five of them can be in operation to do what? To equip God's people. Now, my gift is teacher. I think, as I take the tests, as I talk to other people, I think it's, so my tendency is to think equip. Okay, let's teach everybody how to be equipped. Everybody get your three ring binder and we're going to spend an hour together and then we'll have a break and then we'll come back and we'll, okay, that's how I roll, right? In fact, this week, um, I'm, I'm going with Pastor Anna, Pastor Beth, we're going to North Carolina to uh, not just a church, but a few churches down there in that area who, uh, the, um, to, to do training in refuge theology and, and discipleship. Um, and, and what I have to remember as I go is that equipping is not just teaching. <laughs> it's shepherding. It, it's, it's being excited about Jesus and what he means to us. It, it's talking about the holiness of God and our responsibility. It's all of those things, see. Uh, and I, I, I'm excited to do this. Uh, Change the Nations Church is where we're going to be this week, and they have 52 different nationalities in that congregation. And, and then they're going to take what we do into the Congo. So I'm excited. Please pray for us, would you? But uh, as I look at all of that, I think about the word equip, and, and I think teach, but the word is katartizo in the Greek, and here's what the word actually means, okay? This is, a, this is fascinating. This is what it means to equip. It means to perfect. It means to mend. It means to perfectly join together. It means to put in order. It means to ethically strengthen. It means to complete. It means to fulfill. It means to heal. You know what really bothers me about that list? Where's teach? <laughs> there are times that we need teaching. But equipping is all of that. And how in the world could all of that happen unless all five of the leadership gifts are being exercised? 
It reminds me of Isaiah 61, Jesus' own job description for the sovereign Lord is upon me. He's anointed me to bring good news to the poor, to comfort the brokenhearted, to proclaim captives will be released and prisons will be freed. He sent me to tell those who mourn that the time of the Lord's favor has come and that with it the day of God's anger against their enemies. All five of those gifts are wrapped up in that thing. And Jesus is ultimately gifted in every way. He does all of it. He, 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 he pastors, he, he prophesies, he, he, he teaches. It's a beautiful thing. So here we have this equipping. So these five spiritual gifts. Now, when I say five, it doesn't mean five people. It could be three people. It could be six people. But those five gifts are going to be in every body of Christ because he puts the body together as he sees fit. They are to equip God's people. For what? For works of service that build up the body of Christ and bring it to maturity. Who does the ministry? All of us. All of us. The traditional model is we have a pastor or a few pastors and they do the ministry. No. No. That's not the plan that God gave us. The saints. That's all of us together. Do the work of ministry until what? Until we all reach, first of all, unity. Hanates in the Greek, which means literally oneness. Now, what does that mean? Uh, Jesus prayed in John 17 as he was getting ready to, to, to face the cross and, and, and to, to uh, go through the pain of taking upon himself our sin. He prayed for us that we would be one, us, as he and the Father are one. Why? So the world would know he was sent from God. Okay. Does that mean we all have to walk alike, talk alike, worship alike, go to the same church? No, that's not what it means. Unity has to do everything, has everything to do with what we believe about Jesus and what he says about himself in his word. The unity of the faith means that we can worship and fellowship with people from all over the, the world, all over the nation, because we agree that Jesus Christ is indeed the son of God because he said he was. We believe that Jesus is the one by whose blood we have been forgiven because on the night he was betrayed, he took the bread and broke it and gave the cup and said, this body, it, this represents my body, which is broken for you. This cup represents my blood, which is shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. Paul talked about that throughout his letters, that it is by the blood of Christ we're saved. We're not saved by works. We are saved by grace through faith in Christ. And when we say, yes, that's us, that's unity. The problem, of course, is sometimes we call ourselves the church and we debate those things. If Jesus said it, I'm not debating it. If you want to, go someplace else. I don't want to do that because I believe him. I'm going with it. And everybody else who says I'm going with it, that's unity. We don't look alike. We don't walk alike. We don't talk alike. That's okay. That's not... It's unity around who he is. And the second thing is this. We'll reach maturity, teleos. It means literally to be grown up. Just grow up. Grow up. It means literally to see evidence in yourself and have others see evidence that you are actually growing in the Lord. I am not the same person I was a year ago. And I by God's help, will not be the same person a year from now that I am today 
because I believe in his transforming spirit that is at work within me to will and to act according to his good purposes. For he who began this good work in me will carry it on into completion until the day of Christ Jesus. That's the word. Are we growing? Are we maturing? That's a unified decision. It's also an individual decision. See. So when I look at all this, how can one pastor do this? He can't. She can't. Okay? No. God said it. I've given you all of these leadership gifts to do all of these things. Notice this. Jesus didn't appoint one successor. He appointed 12. And those 12 led the first church council in Acts chapter 15. And those 12 led it, but others came in and they had a major discussion as to what they should do. They did this together. And here's the decision that came out of it. The Gentiles can become believers in Christ without becoming Jews first. So our salvation is by grace through faith alone. Folks, that decision made by a group of leaders changed the world. It's why you and I are sitting here today. Otherwise, we'd have to be Jewish first. Everything hinged on that moment. And it was a group of people with the gifting of leadership. Wow. The seven that were chosen in Acts 6, no one stood out among them as chief, as the, the leader. They were all together. Although Paul did say, I am chief among sinners. That's all he said. But the elders in the early church were always in the plural. Paul is always followed by an and, Paul and Barnabas. Paul and Priscilla and Aquila. Paul and Luke. You get the idea, right? There's always a group of gifts that are, that are equipping God's people. So what? <laughs> if the leadership gifts are there, people are being cared for, people are being challenged, people are being sent. People have a desire to share what Jesus has done for them. People want to speak the truth, but they want to do it in love because they understand the mercy of God. And they don't want to show anything but mercy but they're going to couple it with truth. Folks, if, that, if that's happening, who wouldn't want to be a part of a group of people like that? That is a church of refuge. That is a place where people can say, well, if I'm going to grow, this is a good place to be because they're going to love me and walk alongside me. See? And I sort of think this passage should begin with an if. If we do all of this, then this is what will result. Because the next passage then begins with the word then. Then. In other words, if we do all this, then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed, blown about by every wind of new teaching. We'll not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Instead, we're going to speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of the body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work. Notice who's the head of the church. There's not one person who is the head of the church except for Jesus Christ. We are all gifted to do our part until we pass from this life to the next. And if I think he can't do it without me, he'll show me real quick. All right? But he wants to do it with you and with me. But he's the head, all right? 
He makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow. In other words, when you do your gift and I do my gift, we actually help each other grow, right? So that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Look at all those. Beautiful. But notice those last three. Healthy, growing, full of love. If you, if, if you realize that th this is the then, if we do the first part, if we actually apply all this stuff, we won't be fooled. How, how, many, how many of you know how easy it is to be moved off center when it comes to what you believe to be the truth? When people who, who ought to be people you could trust in the faith and they, they challenge something that you believe to be the truth and you're not sure because you trust them. Can I just say, never trust anyone who says, don't trust the Bible, trust me. Don't ever, ever follow that. No, you can't go wrong. Just open up the word. We won't be fooled, but we'll all be healthy. That means spiritually, emotionally. There's going to be health in our bones. There's going to be health in the body of Christ. And it says we're going to grow in every way. I think what Paul means here is, is not just we're going to grow emotionally and grow spiritually. Folks, if you go back to Acts chapter 6, you're going to find something happening there. When there was struggle in the early church, they, the 12 apostles said, let's appoint seven to take care of this matter. And they did. And what happens right after that, it says, and they, grow, they grew in number substantially after that. So when the church operated this way in the first 300 years of its existence, it grew from 12 people to 120 at, 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 in the upper room on the day of Pentecost. And it is estimated that by the year 300 AD, the number of Christians in the world was 120 million. <sighs> Let me just tell you something right now. You don't get there by one guy or a few guys saying, we're the pastor, we do all the ministry here. It doesn't work that way. The church multiplied. It was sent. It was apostolic. Why? Because people were being equipped. And when equipped, people get equipped, they want to do something. Send them, send them, send them. And that's what happens. So when, when Paul says here to Timothy, we'll grow in every way, he means number two. He means you're going to grow in your, in your walk with Christ. You're going to grow in maturity. And you're going to grow in number to the point where you're going to go, what are we going to do now? Well, let's send out another church. Let's build this or let's go. And, let's, and this is what the church did. Huh. But I love the way he ends it. We'll be full of love. There's nothing worse than passionate, zealous people who are hard to get along with. We have the best message the world has ever heard. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners and I'm one of them. But praise be to God, I am righteous in his sight, not because of anything I've done, but because Christ has forgiven me and given me his very life as I've entered into his life. 
and I'm growing through the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. I am not what I was, and I'm not yet what I will be, but I know right now that he is with me, and he will never leave me nor forsake me. And you, too, can join the team. Don't live without him. Don't try to live your life in your own power. It doesn't work. It has never worked. It will never work. He's been following you all your life. You know that. Give in. Give up. Surrender. See, that comes from love. That comes from love. Because I know how much I've been loved. We're not inviting people into a rule-keeping society. We're inviting people into the kingdom of God that will live forever and ever. You do that with love. Hmm. So, okay. Richard Niebuhr said, the great Christian revolutions came not by discovery of something that was not known before. They happen when someone takes radically something that was always there. Have we taken this passage radically? I guess it's my New Year's resolution. With God's help, I fully intend to. Will you do it with me? Let's just see what God could do if we actually not just preach it, but do it. You might be asking right now, well, what's going to happen? I have no idea. Won't it be fun? <laughs> you're, you're saying, okay, well, how, how can I participate? I would say the first thing is this, pray. Pray. Are you asking the Lord as you head into this, this new year, are you asking the Lord, how can I grow in you, Lord? Some of you are on a Bible reading plan. I'm, on, I'm using the one from the uh, uh, Bible Project um, because you get videos. <laughs> it's TV. I like TV. So um, you, different systems, whatever. But the whole idea is not so much to have a race or a contest. It's, it's to get into the words so the word gets into us. Okay? However you do that. But pray, be, be, be asking the Lord, what is it you want from me? And the best way to do that is, is not just be a hearer of the word, but a reader and a doer of the word. And then secondly, I would say, begin to ask the Lord, what are, what are my spiritual gifts? Okay, we talked about those five gifts, and maybe, maybe some of you have those five gifts, okay? But there's other places in the Bible that talk about the spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, 1 Peter 4. You can go to those passages, write them down, study them on your own and say, okay, after I get done listing all of the things you've done for me in the first two chapters of Ephesians, Lord, so I know who I am, I'm going to go and start looking at the spiritual gifts that you gave the church and begin asking the question, is this my gift? And generally you'll have one or two that are going to really stand out. You, there are free spiritual gift tests you can take online. Begin to examine it. Begin to ask the Lord, what, what do you want me to do? And then thirdly, I, I would say practice. 
actually do it. We're all ministers. It's clear, Ephesians 4, we're all ministers. It's not someone standing up front who's ministering. It's the five leadership gifts equipping God's people for works of service that build up the body of Christ. So practice it. What are you doing? Maybe you're already doing it. Praise God. Maybe you haven't yet begun. But begin to practice those things that the Lord is laying on your heart. Shared leadership and shared ministry was the mark of the New Testament church when it was at its best. Maturity comes about as we actually do what we're gifted to do. I'm not going to grow if I don't walk. And finally, I would say witness. In a couple weeks, we're going to start this series. Ud in the Hebrew, martus in the Greek. The word witness, what does it mean? What is that word meant throughout scripture? What does it mean to us today? What does it mean to give witness? It means to tell what we know to be true because we've experienced it to be true. Is there somebody who needs to hear how you've learned to trust Jesus? You think about, I'm not trained in that. Let's work on that this year. But sometimes evangelism is nothing more than one beggar telling another beggar where the bread is. Is Jesus going to rule and reign Crossroads Community Church? Will we be the people he's called us to be? I hope and pray so. And with every ounce of strength he gives me, I intend to do so. How about you? So let's run those again. Make sure we actually get all of them this time. So the apostolic, the prophetic, the evangelistic, the pastoral, and the teaching. Right? So all of these are we see in Ephesians 4. And all these we really see throughout Scripture. I think Jim did a great job really laying out. I mean, we see these kind of throughout that these are, I mean, Jesus is all of these, right? Um, and each of us is maybe gifted a little bit differently. Um, I actually got to take a test, so I kind of know what my bent is, but if you had to guess what, where, which one of those you kind of fall into, what would you say yours is? Mine would definitely be, uh, teaching. Uh, I, yeah, I've known this for quite some time. It would be, uh, the teaching aspect is where I would fall. Yeah, that's me too. Yeah, got good. a couple, got a couple teachers. Nice, and uh, yeah, I think part of that is just I love to engage with people and really help people understand things differently. Uh, but my next one would be pastor, my kind of my secondary one. I can see um, that caring for people, and and it's interesting. He talked about how generally those two have been kind of the two that we see as more important in the American church. But interestingly, uh, our pastor from Brazil, uh, Pastor Alex, said that the prophetic. And the apostolic are really valued in Brazil and in South America, where he's from, as pastors. They want a, someone who can kind of grow the church and someone who um, has that prophetic gifting, which I thought was just really interesting how we can, in different churches, in different cultures, emphasize some of the gifts above the other. You know, why do you think, as humans in the church, we we tend to really want to... Uh, value some some of these so much more maybe the non-existence of others i mean when we watch football 
we have no problem saying it's a team effort. We don't want just a bunch of offensive linemen out on the field. That would be worthless. <laughs> um, and, you know, we value a, a balanced diet. And uh, But when it comes to this, we so often think, oh, you know, the pastor is everything. Or we might think, ah, oh, this is so much more important than that. Um, and we don't see a, a balanced diet here. And I'm wondering, if you do you have any re- thoughts on why you think that is? Why do we do that? I don't know. I, and I think it's a problem that, you know, you talked about this before we started, that Paul talks about, right, that we need all parts of the body. Right, we don't need a, an ear to say, "Man, I wish I was an eye," or you know, the eye is not important. Right, that we all have a purpose, and so clearly, this is something that that Paul was struggling with in his churches that he was speaking to that certain groups value themselves more. You know, and I think some of it is that we church has become, and we've designed church around teaching. You know, we've designed church around caring for people. And I think the other aspects have become less important. I think evangelism is really hard. I think we live in a world where it's harder to evangelize because people feel like you're shoving your religion down their throat. Or I think those things have maybe become not as central, you know, so we don't talk about them as much. But uh, I guess my first thought, but I don't know. That's a good thought. Yeah, maybe the the, the culture, uh, what we're up against may have an, uh, an impact on what we do. That's an interesting thought. But I think it's different for different groups. I do think some of that is just culturally. I think we value a teacher. We value, a, you know, the prophetic is was very important back in that time. But have we seen it be, you know, have we decided it's less important? Do we need a resurgence of the prophetic in terms of speaking into culture, speaking and speaking truth into people's lives? You know, I think that's very important. Yeah, I do too. And I think one thing that's uh, similar to this is, uh, very similar to this, actually, is that Christianity has tended to, at times, value the mind, which, you know, we're yeah. teaching would be, or value feelings, or value um, the hand, you know, helping the poor, anything like that, to the exclusion of the others. Right. And I, for years, thought, uh, this this is going to kill the church. There's There's nothing wrong with each of those individual parts. They're actually good. But there is something wrong when we look down on the other parts, yeah. and uh, and ultimately, I have heard that that's the way that the church in Great Britain died back in the nineteen sixties, mm. and we've got to fight that. If if this person has a gift of the mind or whatever teaching or anything like that, if that if that's not ours, we need to value that person. But on the other hand, if we've got a gift of something the mind or whatever. We need to look at that person and say, I need you. Um, I need you just as bad as you need me. And yeah. I need your calling just as bad as you need my calling. Let's work in this together. And it'll be a, a wonderful feast of different uh, different callings. You talked a little bit about that, right? That a church that values overvalues teaching can become so intelligent and yet become dead. Yes. Right. A church that overvalues evangelism can become a mile wide, but an inch deep. Right. And I think that's the thing is that when we exclude other giftings and we only welcome people that want to chase after the one aspect of, of gifting, we limit what the church can be. 
And it's meant to be a full expression of the body of Christ, right? So we can't lose the hands, but we also can't lose the mind. We also can't lose the heart and the emotions, you know. I think that's a great example that, you know, Paul uses that metaphor very well. And I think, you know, Jim said this too, that if we become that type of place, a place of refuge Mm -hmm. that is allowing people to come and find their gifting and be valued and, and, and be equipped, right, that the people would be knocking down the doors to be a part of that type of church. They would. And I, you know, if I could summarize this whole sermon, I, I think, in my opinion, the, uh, Jim, he said five words at the end of the sermon, surrender to the Holy Spirit. And then we sang the song, I Surrender All, Surrender to the Holy Spirit. And I thought, you know what, if I can just look in the mirror, at least you can, but if I can, with my Bible in hand or, or something like that, and say, I need to say that my belief about this, I could be wrong. And I need to say that these guys' beliefs, these guys' callings, these guys, these guys are just as valuable to me as I am. And I, I surrender, Lord, to, to your will, uh, to whatever you have. And uh, if we do that, I think that the natural outcome of that will be, yes, love and a, a love for all of the, all of the callings whether it's a calling that we've got or, or a gift we have or not. And so we'll see the need for all of them. And that's my opinion of the summary of this, is surrender to the Holy Spirit. Yeah, and I think, I mean, the whole point of this message, right, was the best sermon he ever preached, but he never implemented it at the church he was at, and he's trying to implement it here at Crossroads, this valuing of the other giftings. And I think it's, you know, like you're saying, are we looking in the mirror, are we turning around and doing it? You know, are we saying, hey, maybe I'm wrong, or are we coming to some realizations and then acting upon the truth that we find there? And, you know, I think he said this, it was a great quote, that, you know, it's not brand new things that that really change. It's when we commit to something that's been around. So we can know this, but are we really going to commit to it and do it? And I think it's a good question. I agree. I agree. I have nothing more to add on that. I just, uh, amen. Yeah. So as you're listening today, understand that we... uh, one thing I love about the church is that, you know, we want you to be here because we have this relationship with Jesus that we believe will will bless you and change you, that you would come to know the God who created you and who loves you. But also, we want you to come to our church because we believe God wants to use you here. We believe God has gifted you in a specific way that is going to bless our church. And uh, our church is not the same without the people that come here. And our church will be different because you come. And so if God is calling you to crossroads to know him and to be a part of this body, we'd ask you to obey him, to, to respond in obedience and to come and to know this God better. And uh, hopefully you can keep coming and, and listening to our podcast, enjoying us listening to the sermon together and then talking about it. So we look forward to seeing you next week.